Today's episode of the Mets Up Podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. First off, that's huge. And that's what we use here on the Mets Up Podcast. I highly suggest it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other streaming services. And you're allowed to make money from your podcast from day one with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So make sure you guys download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What is up, Mets Up listeners? Back here for episode number 57 of the Mets Up podcast. Of course, I'm your co-host, Draftneck Mark. Mark Luino here with James Shiano. Jeter had no range. Talking about the New York Mets. There's not a whole lot of news to go over, but we're still going to make this episode interesting, exciting, something you guys want to listen to. We're going to talk about the president of baseball operations update here because apparently everybody in the baseball world seemingly forgot that the Mets don't need to be in a rush to sign a president of baseball operations. So we'll talk about that. Uh, We're going to talk about all the players of the New York Mets say we're going to do a quiz, see how many of the guys we know, and we're also going to be grading all the players that matter. We're not going to grade every single player. We're not talking Stephen Tarpley here, but Lindor, Nimmo, McNeil, all the guys that you could think of, we're going to give them grades, gives you our thoughts and opinions on how they played during this 2021 season. So if you guys are enjoying what you're seeing here, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram, as well as TikTok, at MetsUp. YouTube channel, if you want video content, MetsUp Podcast, you'll be able to find us there. If you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you can listen to them, you'll be able to find us. Drop us a five-star rating and review. It really does help. And now's the perfect time to bring in James, who, as you can see, we're together again. We're, we're in the same place. We got a in-person episode here, and those are always electric. Always electric. And I just want to say, this is the longest we've ever been away from you guys, listeners. It's been eight days, so we're really happy to see you again, talk to you again. Missed you guys. It was interesting because, you know, we always talk about what episode is it. I always ask. 57, I double check. It felt weird. It felt like we should be on, like, our 60s now. Yeah. But now that we're on this new schedule, off-season once a week... Things are slowing down a little bit here, but of course, whenever there is any sort of big news, I'm sure we'll drop an emergency episode. No doubt, and I think the next big news that's going to come out of New York Mets land is going to be when they hire a new executive. And now we're not really sure what that executive's title will be or when that will be, but that is what everybody's waiting for, that pin to drop. Yeah, and everyone across the baseball world is taking shots at the Mets for not having a guy still, but it doesn't seem to be talked about enough that... There is no rush. The CBA is going to be different. There's going to be a new CBA. There's no real rush to get anybody right now. Things are going to be changing. You can't really do much with this team right now. No doubt. You almost can't do anything. And this is all coming on the heels of official word from Ken Rosenthal and Buster Olney this week that the Mets big three that they were going after, the big fish, Theo Epstein, Billy Bean, and now most recently David Stearns are all officially out. And I don't think that there is... um, a Mets fan with a wit and a half who would have thought any of those guys were even realistic options for this Mets team. Those were all pipe dreams. Like we talked about those guys. Maybe we weren't the biggest Theo Epstein dudes, but we were definitely high on David Stearns and Billy Bean, but it was always coming with the idea that it's probably not going to happen. It's going to be super unlikely. Billy Bean has an ownership ownership stake with the A's, which I don't know how he's going to navigate that if he ever did. And David Stearns is a president of the Milwaukee Brewers. They would have to give him permission to be able to even interview with the Mets. Why would they do that? So 
it was a unlikely chance that any of these guys were going to take the job to begin with. And for some reason in the baseball media, it's being portrayed as if the male Mets are failing again because they didn't get these guys. It is. This has been portrayed as the most recent Mets failure failure. And it's just really shocking because logically speaking, like Epstein, as we said, probably didn't want to do this at all. Billy Bean, like, um, was logistically, it would have been massively difficult, and we're still not even sure he would want to, because he's been po- tried to be poached many times in the past, and it's never happened. So I've never even seen like it's been close to happening. This probably might have been one of the closest times. And David Stern, just how in the world would a team in the Mets league that's actively competing with the New York Mets, who is one of the most successful franchises in the National League since David Stearns took this job about six years ago in 2015, why on God's green earth would they say, go interview for the same position at a different organization with more money and more resources? What, what kind of numbskull would think that was even possible? Sure, it was a pipe dream, and it was nice, think, nice to think about that the Mets could have had one of the best executives in baseball. But it wasn't at all possible for a second, unless we put up an asset, which we talked about last episode, that wasn't going to happen, and it probably also would still be unlikely to happen no yeah while those were maybe the guys on the top of our wish list just because we're not getting them doesn't mean that the Mets are doing something wrong here they got blocked out for all very very reasonable reasons like you said David Stearns why would the Brewers do it Billy Bean logistical issues and Theo Epstein had no interest it's not like the Mets came to them and offered this this thing and they they had a worse job they had they they didn't need to take this job at all no, and it's also literally in Major League Baseball's bylaws that you can block someone from interviewing for a job that is a lateral move. You need to hire somebody up if they're under contract. That is why a guy like David Stearns was promoted from general manager of the president of baseball operations. Similarly to, I'm trying to think of some guys right now across baseball. I think John Daniels of the Rangers was promoted up from within. This is just the way that the hiring process works for executives. And that's why the Mets now are transitioning their search into general managers and executive vice presidents, guys of that nature, so they can hire them up and elevate them so they have the right to interview them, even though while they're under contract with other teams. But there's been this like narrative that basically if you don't get one of these guys, it's going to be a failure. There's so many dudes who are GMs or vice presidents of organizations that are very, very capable of running this Mets team. I don't know why it has to be someone with this vast, vast experience at that exact position. 100%. Or it could be guys in positions like um, the president of research and development or director of research and development, director of amateur scouting, director of pro scouting. There's a lot of people who have similar jobs to general manager and executive vice president who could very easily be elevated to work in a very successful front office. I don't want to understate this. There's probably six or seven dozen people in baseball who could do this Mets job very well. And this media narrative is just people piling on the Mets over and over again because that generates clicks. I guess I respect their hustle that they need to get clicks any way they can, especially a failing company like ESPN. But that's just not, it's not the truth of the matter at all. And we've listed about 10 fantastic names. And this is just literally a scratch of the surface. Off the top of the head. Literally, this, there was no, almost no research done here. I just went to the five smartest organizations in baseball and took their top three guys because they could all run the Mets. It's possible. And I think also a big part of this too is that the Mets, I think, are really waiting for those Dodgers guys that we mentioned, Josh Burns and Brandon Gomes. I think those are the guys that they are super, like they probably got stars next to them. I think that's who they really want. I think they definitely do too. And that also plays into this waiting game because when you're interviewing candidates who come from lower positions, you want those guys to be on better teams because they've been a part of successful front offices. They've seen the sausage be made, especially these executive vice president types and um like the assistant general managers. These are the guys, I said this word forward last episode, they do the day-to-day work that the president of baseball operations doesn't have time to oversee because he's doing the grand scheme stuff, the philosophical shit. 
and more on that, something you referenced at the beginning of this segment is that we basically can't make a player move for someone that's not already a part of the organization. Like there was a rumor that dropped today about a possible Javi Baez extension. We don't know how much faith we can put into that. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But the league year ends the same day that the CBA does. So you literally cannot orchestrate a trade or bring in an outside player until that CBA gets signed. And there's no telling when that's going to be signed at all. Again, you're going to want an executive before that happens. But that still gives you a what? A seven-week window? A month and a half. In between the end of the World Series and when the CBA is over? I want the Mets to take almost every single day they can. We're almost we're not wasting really any time at all here. There's some tiny arbitration stuff you could do. And you can offer contracts to players internally. And you can probably start changing the methods of player development and draft scouting and all that jazz. But... At the end of the day here, the Mets should take every single moment necessary to get the right people, person, cohort in this job ready for this position. Do nine rounds of interviews. I really don't care. Just make sure someone is capable. And even the guys who don't hire, harvest their ideas. Tell, tell, make them tell you everything they know so we can take their stuff and implement it on our own. Yes, do the uh, the office thing. What was it Will Arnett when he was interviewed? Was like, I can't tell you all my ideas. Yeah. <laughs> you got to hire me first. I can't tell you them. Try and get the ideas out of them. Steal them. I mean, some of the guys that we're going to rattle off here, like these are dudes who are very capable to take this job, would be very good at it most likely based on their track record. I mean, like a guy like Bobby Heck, which you were talking about with me earlier, he's not getting enough hype, but he's he's like running the Rays. He's up there as a, a head honcho with the Tampa Bay Rays. Why would we not want a guy like that? No, he's been a part of the Rays organization for nine years now. He's currently the special assistant to the general manager, but he was part of that front office along with Andrew Friedman and Heim Bloom while they were there working directly under them. Any guy who has a, like a, a position of power with the Rays is somebody that I'd want the Mets to hire, or at least interview. And there's two other guys that I pulled from here from the Rays, Will Cousins and Hamilton Marks. Cousins is their director. Of hold re- on, hold on, hold on. Hamilton Marks? A, that's a real fucking name. Did Alexander Hamilton and, and Carl, Carl Marks, Marks put together? What the hell? It's like Abraham Linkler. Yeah, that's just <laughs> like... <Abradolf> Linkler. <laughs> that's just a fake name. That's not a real person. All right. Back to the info here. Will Cousins is director of research and development for the Tampa Bay Rays. So he is the director of all of the insane amounts of R&D that the Rays do. All of the crazy informational systems, all of the small day-to-day shit. I guess he's probably not doing day-to-day stuff because now he's director of research and development, but he's gone up from there. And Hamilton Marks is their director of baseball operations. So again, not the president because they delineate those roles a little more than most teams because their front office is so large. And no one in the world has mentioned either of these names, right? No, I no I heard one. any of them. I, Hamilton Marks. That's what I would remember <laughs> if I've heard Hamilton Marks. Again, to reiterate to all the Mets fans out there who might be nervous that the Mets didn't get any of the top guys or that this is taking a long time, there's guys like Bobby Heck, Will Cousins, and Hamilton Marks. Maybe not like Hamilton Marks, but you know, <laughs> similar, similar stature of Hamilton Marks in every single baseball organization who are very well respected within the game and have done a lot to... Um, proliferate the success of many of the most successful organizations in baseball, like this one with the Rays. Like you, you could probably convince me that Bobby Heck, Will Cousins, Hamilton, Marks had a hand in revolutionizing baseball. Any of those guys could have a management role with the Mets easily, and they all have positions and titles that will allow the Mets to interview them for a step up. Bobby Heck technically would only have to interview the Mets to be the general manager. Like he could be the second in command. I don't even know if he'd take that because the Rays' structure is so weird. He might be the second in command. We might not even know it. But just because he's the special assistant of the GM, we can interview him for GM and get him in a room, and that would be okay. The same thing with Will Cousins and Hamilton Marks. But they would probably actually have elevated roles because they're both directors of something. They'd probably have to run baseball operations. But this just, again, goes to show you how many people here 
are possible. I mean, rattle off some names. We got Mike Chernoff from Cleveland, Matt Arnold, Milwaukee, Scott Harris, San Francisco, Justin Hollander, Seattle, Ross Atkins, Toronto. Most of these guys are not linked right now by any means, but no. it doesn't mean that they're out of the running either. Uh, we're not, we have no inside information. Let's just go ahead and say that. we have no rumors no, or anything, but the fact is that there are guys out there that are more than capable to do this job. And I think it's super telling too about the Mets direction that Doug Melvin's name was thrown around there and he pulled his own name out because he said it's a young man's game and basically has no interest in it. Dorian uh, Boylan said that too. Yeah. So yeah. like, I think the idea that the Mets are trying to like get this smarter group of people in the front office, like Theo Epstein is a little different because he's just like, he wins world series. You can't deny his track record by any means, but like Billy Bean, one of the smarter guys, David Stearns, one of the smarter guys. While we didn't get them, there are other guys around baseball that are super smart there's really absolutely no reason to panic right now that we still don't have a president of baseball operations. Will we like one sooner? Of course. Yeah, it would no be doubt. nice to know where we're going. But the fact that, like, a lot of the shills, Ken Rosendahl, Buster Olney, are putting out this idea that the Mets are, like, lull Metsing again and, like, having this, they're having trouble finding their guy. I saw the word dumpster fire thrown around. Yeah. Are you kidding me? It's October, what's the date? October 19th. Yeah. They're playing the NLCS in a few minutes. There's still actual baseball being played. Tons. The Mets, the Mets probably teams. want to talk to Burns and Gomes, like I said, the Dodgers, and they're probably like, "Can you talk to us after the season?" Hundred percent. We're we're in the middle of the the NLCS. The Rays just lost. I'm sure the Mets won the chance. You want to? You want? You can't have a president of baseball operations search and not talk to anybody from the Rays. You can't do that. It's impossible. No, that'd be yeah. stupid. And I'm sure there's some of the Astros the Mets want to talk to as well, who I didn't even list here because there's so many possible names. It's hard to get everybody, and this takes time. Yeah, I, I don't want the Mets to rush. I don't want the Mets to rush. Get the right guy, get the right person in there, and let's start to build towards the future as we have. Like, it's just, I, it's so weird, man. It's so weird. The The media really hates the Mets. Really does. It does. It does. I don't think the media hates the Mets, but I think that the media has their own directives, that they're very aware of what gets clicks and what doesn't. Like Low-hanging fruit. Yeah, you're going to talk about the Mets because the Mets play in New York, the biggest media market in the world. The Mets have one of the most vivacious fan bases on Twitter. Negative tweets coming back to you were still engagement. Yeah. Works just well. Almost works better. It spreads like wildfire. I will never let Buster only tweet about the Mets without quote tweeting it. And he, cause he has me, but I don't care because he's a fucking idiot. And I want people to know that these things, he's not an idiot. Buster only's not an idiot. I take that back. Buster <laughs> only is a smart guy and he's made a great way for his world. But for some reason, he has his best tweets when they're taking shots at the Mets. And it's just inf infuriating that he's perpetuating this narrative that no longer exists. Yeah, it just doesn't. I don't know. Like, these are the same guys who that also applauded the Mets last season for taking their time. Just ended up that Jared Porter was an asshole and a piece yeah. of shit. Yeah. But they got a pull. These guys, I mean, there's tweets from Olney, Passan, uh, Rosenthal, time. all these guys applauding the Mets for getting the guys they got last year before the information came out, which is completely fair for them to do. Yeah. But now they're doing the exact same thing and they're, you know, shitting on the Mets. It makes no sense to me. And again, we rattled off some names and there's so many more, but just like basic credentials. Like Mike Chernoff's the GM of Cleveland, Jewish kid from Livingston. He probably grew up a Mets fan, 50 50 shot there. He went to Pingree, which is a high school local to where Mark and I grew up, which is kind of funny. He was a shortstop for Princeton, college shortstop. He was never going to play past that. He got an internship with Cleveland, and he literally never looked back. He's been with that organization since he was 21 years old, and he's risen to GM. He promoted to GM in 2015 when Chris Antonetti was promoted to the president of baseball operations, and Cleveland has been running a very good, coherent system of player development since then, really just scraping by on bare bones with no money, no infusions of talent from the outside whatsoever, ever. It's literally never happened no. in the last six years. And they're always a competitive team. They've fallen off a little bit more recently, but they're still competitive. They still hang out around 500. It's impressive. Matt Arnold, 
senior vice president, general manager of the Brewers. He was with the Rays, but David Stearns handpicked him and brought him over when he was hired by Milwaukee, originally to be their general manager. And he's basically become Stearns' right-hand man. He oversees all the day-to-day baseball operations. If you want David Stearns, then you should also want Matt Arnold. Those guys are like 1A and 1B, technically, in my mind. If you thought Stearns was, again, your 1A. The Mets are also apparently been linked to Scott Harris, who was the GM of the San Francisco Giants for the last few years. He worked directly under Theo Epstein in Chicago, which I don't know if we really want to go down that road again. Yeah, I don't know about that one. Apparently all of these guys always get more jobs because that's what they do because they work for Theo. But he oversaw research and development and player acquisition for the Cubs, which, again, there wasn't that much great research. And there also wasn't that much great player acquisitions during that time with the Cubs. Or real development, either, No, for not, that not much of any of that stuff. So I don't know if Scott Harris, like, it's pretty easy to say, GM of the Giants, bring him in. But it seems like... Uh, some of his credentials could be in question, even though I'm sure he's learned a lot since then and had a great year this year. We talked about the Rays guys, Bobby Heck, Will Cousins, and your boy Hamilton Marks. I love the name Justin Hollander from the Mariners. No one has talked about him even for a moment. I have never heard his name thrown around ever no. for any job ever. But the Mariners are becoming one of these also player development machines when you look at the guys who they've brought up in the last year and the guys they're going to have coming up in the next two, three, and four years. It's pretty spectacular when you look at their minor league system and how much they're getting specifically from pitching prospects. The way the Mariners are developing pitching prospects is unique because they're drafting guys who consistently are middling velocity with fantastic command and multiple pitches, and they're giving them all velocity. Logan Gilbert was a guy who sat 93-94 when he was coming up through college and through the system. He was 96-97 this year in the yeah. major leagues. It's fantastic. Who's the other guy besides Emerson Hancock? George Kirby. Yeah, George Kirby. George Kirby's a guy who commands four pitches. He was throwing 93-94 miles an hour. He's sitting 98 Your now. boy uh, Williamson, too, right? Yeah, Brandon Williamson. Very sneaky prospect. No one knows about him. He was throwing 91-92 with a wipeout slider. Now he is sitting 96, and he's going to be a monster in the next few years. Guys who have put creative systems like that very quickly are guys who I want to come to the Mets. Another guy who fits that bill, Ross Atkins of the Blue Jays, the executive vice president of baseball operations there, and the general manager. Two hands, two hands, two jobs. Guys, two jobs. You can do everything. Their player development is elite, and this past, I think, year and a half has shown everyone that internally, the Blue Jays' pitching development has crossed into a new echelon. These are all guys who can be great. And again, this is literally, literally the tip of the iceberg. There are minimum 100 executives across Major League Baseball who can perform this job for the Mets at a high level. Guys, no one's ever even heard of them. Guys, you'll never hear of These guys don't even have Wikipedia pages. I did this research on LinkedIn. <laughs> that, that's where you get this shit from. Like, just we really want to reiterate that not getting those big three is so incredibly okay. And while the media may construe it as a failure and another, another tally on the Mets belt right here that they stink, it's just not true. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this a little bit earlier, too, off uh, you know, podcast about Bloom and all the negative tweets about when they brought him in and what he was doing and trading Mookie and everything. And uh, what do you know? Within a year, they might be on their way to the World Series. So, like, it just goes to show you that while there are some big names out there and you might want them, there are. So many. How many of you knew Heim Bloom before the Mets were even interested in him and, and told him no? And don't lie to us. Yeah, <laughs> nobody, nobody knew who Heim Bloom was. He was a classics major from from Yale. This guy is not wasn't a baseball guy like conventionally, but he gets the job done pretty damn well. He was similar to Chernoff, where he got an internship with the Rays in college, and he literally never looked back. Yep, I'm uh, I'm interested in those guys who worked their way up. I want to see I want to see a smart guy with the Mets, and I think they will end up getting the right guy there. But I think that's probably enough of the president baseball operations talk here. Let's go ahead and start talking about the biasing that you alluded to a little bit as well. Uh, Andy Martino coming out with a report that the Mets are getting close. What was it? It was word for word. If the Mets make 
a serious offer early, Baez would be inclined to stay. That was from SNY Mets. The regular SNY had one too that I'm going to look up real quick. On the day of Thumbgate, it was a near certainty that Baez would soon be a former Met. Now, there is a real chance that they will agree early in the offseason. So, Andy Martino was really, really throwing some chum out there that Javi Baez seems like very likely to come back to the Mets, which seems incredibly peculiar because, like we just talked about, there's no one running the baseball operations for this franchise. No, nobody is. So, I guess that person who steps in is just going to have Javi Baez on his team. Like, I, there's worse situations to step into. There are, but the gamut of the Javi Baez contract, which, again, this is something that I wanted to, like, parse out future episodes. We didn't get it ready for today. It would have been perfect if we did. Yeah. But there's such a wide range of what Javi Baez can get as a free agent. Such It's an immaculate range. One of the widest ranges I've ever even seen for free agent negotiations. And based on what he gets, will really signal the Mets' outlook future, like for the future. Like if he gets a real aggressive contract short term, Mets are going for it. Yeah. Expect big names. If he gets a more long-term contract with a little less money spread out over the way, they still might be going for it. Like there's a lot of different ways to look at this, but it all feels like if Javi Baez is back, Mets are looking to make moves. But that's just such an insane thing to saddle a new president and general manager with. Like, oh, here's Javi Baez, one of the most polarizing players in baseball. I don't know how you value him, but this is how our owner values him. Yeah. It doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. And again, it seems like, I don't want to say there's not there's not fire where there's smoke, because Andy Martino dropping this on Tuesday afternoon is absolute lunacy. But that also just leads me to believe that this SNY looking for clicks. Andy Martino got bored. Yeah, it's, it's super possible. Like, again, there's no punishment for him saying this and it being wrong. No, of course. And, like, it's, it just they, someone probably made a nice graphic. And they're like, yeah, let's get this out today. Yeah, sounds about right. Well, we'll see. When we have more Javi Baez news, and we like you said, we're going to definitely have, like, a good chunk of an episode one day talking deep about Javi Baez. We'll get to that. But now... Let's go ahead and do a quiz. Uh, some of you who watch my YouTube channel know I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Sporkle quizzes over here. And there's a really good one. Can you name the 2021 Mets? There are 64 guys that played a game for the New York Mets in 2021. We're going to see how well we can do. We've got 10 minutes to uh, see if we can win this thing. So want to give it a shot here? Yeah, I think we're going to get this. All right, here we go. So you guys can play along with us too. While you might not be able to see it on the audio version, you'll be able to hear our thoughts. And we're going to tell you like the criteria that's telling us as well. Uh, it should be interesting. Yeah, this will be good radio. All right, so here we go. We're getting started. 152 games played. Let's get the big guys out of there. Let's go Lindor. Alonzo. Alonzo. Nimmo. McNeil. Smith. Smith. Conforto. Davis. Oh, we got two Smiths. We got Drew Flo. We got Drew Flo. Conforto is going to be on here as well. Uh, let's go DeGrom. Stroman. If you don't mind, I think we should knock out some of the wilder names first. Okay, yeah, that's actually fair. That's fair. All right, wild names. Tarpley. 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 Bostic. Wow, Bostic. That is one I would not have remembered. Oh, my God. Akeem Bostic. Um, uh, Anthony Bonda. Steven Nagosik. Nagosik. Yeah, good one. Good one. How about Tommy Hunter? Yep. Tommy Hunter. Khalil Um, Lee. Khalil Lee. Oh, Joneshwi Fargus. You're going to get me on a a string now. Jake Hager. Tovar. Wilfredo Tovar. That guy was so bad. Holy crap. Um, Cash Money Mabin. Cash Money Mabin. Oh, we got Trevor May for that. Okay, Cash Money Mabin. All right. Uh, Who else do we got here? There has to be some now the other the other, the real people the now meat. the now the meat of this team. All right, Diaz. There's gonna be two of them with Yancey. Oh wait, Jake Reed. Jake. Oh wow, Jake Reed. Good call. Good call. Oh, how can we not forget our favorite, Gerard Eikhoff. Gerard Eikhoff. How baby. do you spell it? Eikhoff or Eikhoff? Eikhoff. Yeah, Eikhoff. Like Eikhoff when Diaz? I watch this guy. Oh, you got Diaz. I got already. Diaz. Um, Batances. Batan. Wow. Dylan Batances had played one game as a Met in 2021. Uh, um, okay, let's keep thinking. Lugo. Lugo uh, Castro, Castro. 
Uh, Nito, I know he's a catcher. McCann. Man, yikes. Oh, who are some other catchers? Cisco. That, Cisco. Yep, Chance Cisco. There's one more, right? Yeah, there was. I have no was idea, like, though. Ali Sanchez, or was that a few no, years that ago? Was, that was, you're just thinking Mets brain. Rene Rivera, is he still no, around? Yeah, I'm going to throw Rivera yeah, around. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Who's the 142 that we're missing? 142. Uh, oh, VR. VR. Pilar. Yeah. VR and Pilar. Uh, Peraza. 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 How can we forget my boy Almora? That Freddie Freeman home run off of Peraza last week. My dad texted me. That was his Peraza moment. <laughs> oh my god! You mean off of Hater was his yeah, Peraza hater, moment? Off of hater, yeah. yeah. Oh my god! What a what a day! Uh, Familia, Jerry's Familia. Yeah, Jerry's Familia. We're at thirty six of sixty four. We're forgetting some big names here. We got oh Taiwan Walker. Yep. Carrasco. Yep. Um, who were some guys that made some starts? We had some weird starters every once in a while. Oh, Trevor what's, Williams. Trevor Williams. What about uh, Robert Stock? Robert Stock. Bobby Stock. Robert yeah, Mason Stock. Williams. I never forgot Mason Williams. Oh, Last yes. One. Big. Let's go. Love Wait, that. Oh, I just had one. I lost it. Oh, oh, I had it too. Oh, Lucchese. Lucchese. Joey Lucchese. The Churve. Yo, Yamamoto. Oh, there he is. Yamamoto. How about McGill? McGill, yeah. How about Peterson? Everyone yeah. forgets about David Peterson. Everyone forgets about David Peterson. Um, there was a guy I just had. Oh, it's going to drive me nuts. Oh, my God. And I, I had it. We were talking about Robert Stock. It was that week. Oh, Jeff Hartlieb. Wow, Jeff, Jeff Hartlieb. Hartlieb. That guy have, stunk. I didn't have that one. Jeff Hartlieb, sorry if you're listening. You're terrible. I didn't have that one. Guillaume. Yeah. I don't think we typed him in. Wow, uh, 69. 69. Nice. nice. Our boy. Um, okay, who else can we think of here? Uh, we talked about depth with the Mets a lot. They didn't have a lot of it. There's some 63 games. That's got to be a reliever, right? No, it's got to be a guy who's on the roster for a little while. Oh, um, it's either McKinney or Drury. Oh, yeah. We're going to do both of them, though. Billy Bombs. Billy Bombs. How can oh, we forget? That's too many E's. Billy McKinney and Drury. That's, that, Drury's oh, 51. Who's, who's 63? We got Lugo, Diaz, Familia. It has to be a depth bat. You, uh, loop. Oh, Loop. Loop, yeah. there it is. Let's go. Okay, All right, now 47. 47. Man, we're missing some guys that got some serious playing time. This is tough. See, oh, oh, Jacob Barnes. Jacob Barnes, 17. Wow, I would not got There we go. Either. Yeah, he stunk. Sean Reed Foley. Sean Reed, yes. Where that, where'd that guy go? He just, like, got – he only played 11 games. This feels like not a lot at no, all. No, not many. Um. Oh, boy. Who else do we have here? There, we've hit a wall. We're at 52 of 64. There's, like, definitely – Uh, I had to have typed Stroman, right? We went through the whole uh, – yeah. Rotation. Oh man, Stroman, McGill, Degrom. These five minutes are going to be. I did Degrom, right? Yeah, you did Degrom. All right, let's just go by position. Catchers. These five minutes are going to be an absolute slot. Catchers. There's some catcher we're forgetting. Oh, Mazika. Yeah, there you Mazzica. go. Patty Mazika. There we go. Thirty-seven. Okay, I think that covers all the catchers. Yeah. If we missed one, you got me. First base. Did Jose Martinez get even one at bat? Let's just type it in. It's a good name. It's a good name. No, no Martinez. Mm, no uh, Pete Dom. I think those are the only first. And Drury. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, second base, we had McNeil. And McKinney's playing first base now for the Dodgers sometimes. Yeah. Just to go show how important first base defense is. Second base, we had McNeil, Peraza. Drury. Drury. Hager. Tovar. Tovar. That's kind, I'm kind of running like into it, it there. Uh, shortstop like was Lindor and VR, basically, and Guillaume. Yeah. Third base, J.D. Davis, Jeff which McNeil. we did. Jeff McNeil a little bit. VR. VR. There's nobody else that played that position. There has to be someone that was so bad that we're like, can't play this guy anymore. It's got to be all pitchers now, right? I guess. Man, this is... Who's the 47? Who is the 47 games play? That's got to be a reliever. I totally forgot about that. We did Drew Smith, right? Yeah, we did. We did Drew Smith. Smith. Who else is in the bullpen that we're forgetting about? That's just... Who could have got... That would have had to pitch like the whole year to get that. We did Castro. We did Familia. Diaz. We did Drew Smith. We did Diaz. We did Lugo. We did May. Oh, boy. We are hitting quite the slog here. 
Oh my goodness. Slog. This is a slog. This is a slog. Slog's in now. We're hitting the wall. All right, we're hitting the wall. Oh boy, this is tough. 53 or 64 is a pretty good number here. Yeah, but we got to get Not going to lie, but we got we got to get 64. We're getting someone to play 47 games. Yeah, that's, 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 that's a lot of games. We're, we're losing our credibility every second this clock ticks down. Oh, who have I complained about this year that was so bad? It's got to be like a, a utility guy. It's got to be, right? Who was cut? Who was sticking around forever? Who did we trade? Oh, Rich Hill. Yeah. Rich Hill. Good call. Um, Baez. Oh, that was it. That's it. There That's it the 47 games. Call. Okay. Javi Baez. Um, but who did we trade? Is there anybody that we traded? I don't major leaguers. For, yeah, no. For Rich Hill, no. Tommy Hunter was the guy, and I, I listed him. So, oh, I can't believe you got Tommy Hunter. We have 23 games left, 16 games, 14, 14, and a couple ones and twos. So these we're getting really down to the nitty-gritty of players I, on the Mets. I cannot believe that Jordan Yamamoto only appeared in two Mets games this year. It felt like it felt 100. like 25. I had to throw out Vance Worley just in case yeah. I missed one. There's got to be someone with like a weird one-day start, an opener. A doubleheader. A doubleheader starter. Oh, oh, oh. Who was the pitcher that we – um the guy who was supposed to be okay that you hated? The pitcher, the minor leaguer, the guy who have talked about AAA for years? What was his name? Zapuki. 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 Yes, he yes. got one. Okay, yes. we got Zapuki. There's going to be some weird bullpen arms out there that got like an inning. Who's 23? Oh, 23 is tough. That's like a. We got all the starters, right? Starting pitchers? Yeah, no, it's not starting pitcher. Pitch most of the year. Could it be? Are you missing an obvious starter? We Let's just go on. through it. DeGrom, Walker. I already did Walker, right? I think so. Try I think I did Walker. Yeah. Stroman, McGill, Carrasco, Peterson, Lucchese, Rich Hill. Peterson, yeah, you know Peterson. Damn, this is getting hard. Twenty three's got to be utility man. Then one 20... of those guys who came in for a week or two, who played. I put Fargus I right. Like, yeah, I feel like we had all those. Joneshwi Fargus. He didn't even play twenty three games. We had some awful players on this team at points. We were pull- pulling guys from organizations that you shouldn't have. Oh. Uh, do we get like a? Do we have a Batista? No. How about a? No. This is not easy. Oh, my God. 56-64, though, is pretty good. I'd like to get 60. I don't think we're going to with two minutes left here on the clock. We're killing. Oh, my gosh. 56 of 64. 23 games is so insignificant if you're not an everyday player. Mason Williams, that's like the kind of player he was. That was a miracle. That was serendipitous. That's the kind of player that it's going to be, though, is a Mason Williams. McKinney. This is so tough. Uh, I don't even. I I actually genuinely don't have a clue. I'm stumped. I, I don't. I don't have one of these guys left here. I don't know how much longer I'm going to continue to let the clock run. You want to just call it? We. I think we're going to call it here. I can't. Twenty. Ten more seconds. Ten more seconds to go deep into the bowels of our brains and try to think of guys like who played in Miami in that bowels. series. Bowels is the right word here. Yeah. Who played in Miami in that series? This could be someone. Oh. Oh. Heath Embry. Ah. Uh, Heath Embry. Good call. Yes. Heath Embry for sure. Yes. Oh, Brad Hand. Brad Hand. Oh, how can we forget Brad Hand? There we go. Wait, now we, we oh, go. Okay, so think more, think more end of the season. Think okay. more waiver claims. Waiver claims. Um, who We're, are some other any position players the Mets pulled in for no reason? They, oh, of I course there is. There's right of course now. some kind of player. Like, I mean, we had Jose. We I'm thinking like Jose Iglesias types where you're like, what? Where do we even get this guy? Like any guys who were on the team in September? Oh, there's. Didn't we have like a good, a guy who was like somewhat highly touted and then just never panned out? Billy McKinney? No. I'm, Al Moore, I guess, is in that same boat. Oh, my God. It's painful. These names are going to drive us crazy. I have to call it. Uh, I think we're going to call it here. Five. Four, all right, calling it. Here we oh. go. Ready to see? Yeah. So we missed Travis Blankenhorn. Blank Corey Olsen. Noah Syndergaard. 
<laughs> oh man, we got some bad misses here. All right, so we got ninety one percent, which is way higher than the average score. Yeah, Travis Blankenhorn. Gesellman's a bad miss, but he's so forgettable. Blankenhorn's a bad miss. He yeah. was on the CMOS here. I said a bench bat. That was a bench bat. Yep. Gesellman, super forgettable. Corey Oswalt. I, I didn't even know he pitched. he pitched this year. I forgot. That was like those July times, the bad times. Trevin Hildenberger. Yeah. Remember he pitched twice? Yeah, it's a SpongeBob character. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Noah Syndergaard, that was bad. That's pretty bad. Bro. That's bad. But and, he basically yeah. wasn't on this team. He pitched no. two innings. I know. And then Nick Tropiano, I don't even remember him making an appearance. I remember him, his name coming up. But that's about it. Yeah. All right, 58 of 64. All right, let's just take a quick look at the quiz stats here and see which was the hardest one. Uh, so, yeah, Hildenberger was the least answered one, and the hardest one that we got right was Akeem Bostic. So that boy, James, good work. There we go. And this is a perfect lead-in to now talking about grading some of the players on this team because now that we know all 64 guys that wore the orange and blue this year, let's talk about some of those guys a little more in depth. Definitely. We're not going to do every player this episode because it's going to be a lot. And then I also want to do a quick AFL update to close the show, like in, akin to our former prospect updates we used to do. And we're not doing any more hour 20-minute episodes. Maybe when the Mets either sign a big free agent or when the, if the president of baseball operations really breaks our brain, sure. But for now, we gotta, we're going to keep these. We're not, we're not doing 80 minutes here. No. So let's go ahead and get it started off with probably the biggest guy on this team that everyone wants to talk about and probably the most polarizing player right now, grading-wise, Francisco Lindor. Let's talk about him. Ended up actually having a fine season. Fine year. All things considered. But there's definitely not as good as we were hoping. That's 100% like clear. He did not live up to the expectation or the hype. I don't know how you're feeling. How are you feeling about Lindor? I, I, I have my grade in my head. I see, I see yours written down. So I'm going to try to keep away from those too much. I'm going to let you be the stat guy as you normally are here. Also, I'm just, I'm incredibly bullish on Francisco Lindor as a player right now. Like I almost couldn't really be more so in terms of him having like an awful 50 game stretch to start the year even though he missed six weeks he still wound up with the second most played appearances on this team which i thought was a pretty cool little notch for him his by the end of the season both his wrc plus and his ops plus got over 100 which is crazy because those sat like in the 60s and 70s for most of the season because he was so hot down the stretch and he still hit that 20 home run plateau with what that was a six homer september he wound up having one of the best months of his entire career he was also in the 100th percentile of outs above average on Baseball Savant. I think he was wound up being fourth or fifth in baseball behind Nick Ahmed, Chapman. I feel like there was another shortstop up there, but not important. So to show that his glove is still elite, which is a big part of Francisco Lindor's value, he wound up with the highest walk rate of his entire career, over 11%, which that's pretty uh, select company when you're walking more than 10% of the time. He also, in terms of actual hitting for power, had the second highest barrel rate of his career. Francisco Lindor was always a guy like Alex Bregman, where he had power, but he didn't really have the barrels to back it up. It's just because he had such incredible back control and didn't like miss many pitches. So him elevating that barrel rate is a pretty big deal moving forward. It shows that there could be an adjustment that he made this year that helped him unlock even more power. And he had the lowest chase rate of his career, and that matched up with having one of the lowest K rates of his career. I just I see so many positives about Francisco Lindor going into next season. I really want to give him a good grade. And I said this, I think, a month ago when we took shots at the Washington Post idiot who had that stupid article when he didn't know how to say stats correctly. But since June 1st, since Francisco Lindor played 79 games, so basically a half a season when you're going to bake in four or five off days a year for a guy like Lindor. 324 plate appearances, 16 home runs, 51 runs scored, 52 RBIs, a 252, 340, 482 slash. That's a that's pretty serious OPS. And 124 WRC+. plus. That's the mark of an elite player if you extrapolate that over a full season sample. And that's the guy who 
played the last five years for Cleveland. That's the guy who the Mets thought they were trading for, and that's the guy that's worth $30 million per season. Yep. So I'm going to give Francisco Lindor a B. And I'm relatively close to you. I'm kind of in that B-minus, C-plus range, and the only reason I say that C-plus is because while he did finish the season strong, you can't you know look past the fact that he did not perform to what was expected for the entire year. While he is doing a lot of good things right now, and I'm not worried about him by any means, I think the C-plus is just warranted in that there was so much hype around him, and he didn't live up to it yet. But like you said, there's a lot of good stuff going on with him, and you should be excited going into next year. Definitely. If I think, I'm think i thinking about Francisco Lindor's grade here. Oh, we've all been in school at some points in our lives. Some of us, we have. Some of the listeners at home have done college. The general college semester, you get three midterms and a final. The way I looked at this semester for Francisco Lindor was an F on the first midterm, probably a B-plus on the second, A on the last one, A on the final. Brought it all together. Really found himself as the semester went on. And that would average out to about a B grade. Yeah, he's he's, he's hovering around that 78 to 83 range. And he just knows he didn't prepare well enough for the first test. And if he would have had it, he would have wound up with an A. And it would have been just like all his other semesters. That was a good way to explain it. I like that. He just wasn't prepared for the first one. Wasn't ready for the first part of the season. He didn't really know what was going to hit him. He was coming to his freshman year. came to a new place. New city, new people around him, new experiences. He doesn't know how a college professor grades. No, of course not. No, the New York media grades differently. He wasn't aware of that yet. Booze, the booze, that was a big, that was a big turning point for Cisco Lindor this season. But I'm very hopeful. No, I don't want to say hopeful because hopeful is hope. I'm not yeah. hopeful. I'm very confident in Francisco Lindor heading into next season. Definitely. Let's talk about Pete Alonso, who probably had one of the better seasons on this team. Pete really took a step forward, I think, with his career this season. He's always been good. He really hasn't ever played poorly with the Mets. He'll go through his stretches where he's hot and cold, but I feel like that 50, what was it, 53 home runs? Yeah. That 53 home run season set the bar a little high for him. That's not realistic for anybody. I mean, look at the guys who hit 50 home runs, multiple 50 home run seasons in their career. It's far and few between. There's not a lot of guys. And I think Pete will join that list. I bet he'll at least find one more season of 50 home runs, especially because MLB is inevitably going to screw up the ball again. Yeah, of course. No doubt. But to expect that yeah. in his third year after no. he did it in his rookie year is unlikely. Un- yeah. Unlikely. But if you look at the numbers, and even in the shortened season in 2020 where he had a down year, still a very, very good player. And he continued on in that again this year. He's getting more comfortable in New York, it seems like. He's starting to really understand at least what it seems like to try and be a leader. He seems like he's trying to take that role a little bit more. I really loved Pete Alonso's season. A-, 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 a. I can't think of anything else but A. I still gave him an A minus just because it wasn't an A. Like he could, he could have been better. Yeah, like he could become more consistent. Like Pete, while he was the steady Eddie for this Mets team this season, he just does have those ebbs and flows where he'll go through two weeks, we'll have one hit, and then he'll go through a week, we'll have four home runs. Like that's just the way Pete Alonso plays. Like I'm not saying that's like necessarily a bad thing because again, that'll all even out over the course of the season. But if he does really want to ascend to be a superstar, he could probably change some small aspects of his approach just a little bit, to create more consistency in his game. Even though he did lead the team, played appearance, he obviously led them in home runs, he obviously led them in RBIs, he somehow had the highest batting average on the New York Mets for any player that played more than 100 games. Uh, that feels wrong. It's, it's insane. <laughs> it but feels he, wrong. But he hit that 260 number. Did he actually hit the 260 number? Uh, I, th- I think he was like either like 258 or 260, which like even then for Pete Alonso, who's, no, 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 who, who's a slugger. He's a yeah. home run hitter. That is what he's there for. You don't see many guys who are that home run hitter type. Like Obviously, you have... Soto, Vlad Jr., those guys are different. But Pete Alonso is there to strictly hit home runs. That's that's a pretty good year for a guy who didn't really like project to be that kind of hitter for average. And that is also so impressive when you think about the fact that the league average batting average was 244. And Pete on the season hit 262. So Pete, Pete Alonso is hitting 20 points higher than league average while being one of the best 
power hitters in baseball while consistently hitting one of the five hardest hit balls in baseball. And while he cut his K rate by over 5% and also got that K rate below league average at 19.9%, under 20% K rate, that's in the elite range. And of course, Pete Alonso did it by one-tenth of a point. Cool. But the league average is 22% strikeouts, like uh, 23.6% strikeouts. This is a player who is becoming elite. And I think that Pete Alonso has very small steps to take until that happens. Of course, the defense improves. He did. He played a very good first base this year. And I also did think in 2019, while he wasn't, you know, he's not graceful by any means still at that position. I thought he got a bad rep as a bad defensive first baseman. You watch some guys out there like Luke Voigt. He doesn't have hands. C.J. Crone, C.J. Crone has no hands. No. You throw it, and it might not go into that glove if it hits him there. Pete Alonso, his scoops are unbelievable. Scoops. But he still had a bad UZR. His fan grass defensive rating was poor. OAA and Savant had him very high, and those two things take different stuff into account. UZR doesn't take de- defensive positioning into account, while OAA does. And the Mets have elite positioning, as they made that adjustment this year to shift much more and to have better shifts in general. But just being in better position probably helped Pete Alonso also because he always did that stupid overextending himself thing. Yes. He would knock a ball out of the second base hole and just ruin a play. I think he's just becoming more confident and more comfortable and hopefully, even though he's a doofus, becoming a leader of this team. Yeah, no, a, a very good season for Pete. AA minus, super fair grades. Let's talk about Jacob DeGrom. Let's get the big three out of here. Yeah. DeGrom next, short season, only played 15 games, which is like super depressing to see. Yeah. I think to grade him, you have to talk about what he did on the field. Like, because for the entire season, only 15 games, it's a letdown, but that's not really anything that he could have done. No. So that's, like, really hard to grade. But performance, when he was there, I mean, A+. plus. There's no other way around it. Of course, A+, plus. but I don't want to be a jerk here, but the number one ability is availability. Of course. And a full season of Jacob deGrom probably gets this Mets team from sub-500 into the playoffs. Truthfully. At least in the conversation, at yeah. the absolute worst. So no that, that would have helped us out a ton. I mean, in his time while he was playing, he was just by and large, the best pitcher in baseball, not even close. Nobody's numbers were even comparable. His URA was hovering under one for most of the season. He was unbelievable. He's he's not human. As few appearances that Jacob deGrom had this year, he still wound up being the 11th most valuable starting pitcher in terms of Fangraph's F-War. Yeah, on silly. The season. Silly. More valuable than Aaron Nola, Dylan Cease, Sandy Alcantara, Jose Barrios, Frankie Montas, Lucas Giolito, Robbie Ray. Who might win the AL Cy Young, possibly. Jacob DeGrom had a higher F4 than all these guys. Max Free, Adam Wainwright. Adam Wainwright threw 206 innings, and Jacob DeGrom and his 100 was more valuable. Than yes. It, just, it doesn't make any sense the things that Jacob DeGrom is doing this year. And it just sucks that we were robbed from one of the greatest pitching seasons of all time. And yeah. you just can't help but think in the back of your mind that it has something to do with the velocity. Jacob DeGrom had the third most pitches thrown over 100 miles an hour in all of baseball this year. The only guys with more were uh, Jose Alvarado and Emmanuel Classe. Those guys were relievers who pitched the entire season. Yeah. Jacob DeGrom stopped pitching in the middle of July. The, the next closest starting pitcher in pitches of 100 miles an hour or above to DeGrom was Sandy Alcantara with 128 less. <laughs> it doesn't even make sense. Like, no. it, it literally, these aren't real numbers, but you just think that at some point, maybe if DeGrom was sitting 97 instead of 101, he could have pitched the year out and still been probably far and away the best pitcher in baseball yeah it'll be super interesting to see what's really going to happen next year because we kind of still don't really know what's going on with no him. idea this really just feels like it could be a sale situation yeah scary not happy about it let's stop talking about it let's move on to a next player no grade. no grades for the ground too sad to grade yeah too sad to grade if you're putting a gun to my head a plus because obviously <laughs> he's the man but let's talk about michael conforto now who is one of the probably more polarizing players in mets land right now he's Actually, not even going to be on the Mets, really, technically, right now. He's no longer a New York Met, I believe. He technically still is, until the new league year, I Okay. Believe. 
but he's on his he's way out. He's one of the guys who the Mets can negotiate with right now. Yes, because he's, he's technically... He's, he's still on the inside the organization. Same thing with Baez, same thing with Syndergaard. But Malcolm Ford, though, has declined the qualifying offer. I'm not sure if we've mentioned that in a previous episode. I don't know if it's official or it's just that whenever it does get officially extended to him, he is going to say no. Okay, well, we know that he's going to say no. Yeah, um, Michael Conforto. Really, really bad start to the year. Played horribly. Obviously, his injuries had to play a part of it because it seemed like as he started to get healthier and healthier as the season went on, and he even had that hamstring thing, right, when everyone was going down that with it. That was a very big deal. Uh, after that, he started playing really well. So, Conforto is really tough to grade. I personally am going to give Conforto a C-. I'm going to say he had a bad year. Uh, disappointing year by all means. I know he ended the year hot, but he just he, he didn't give us what we needed for this team to truly be successful and hit its like offensive potential i'm giving conforto a d just because of how important his bat turned out to be to this lineup you went harsher than i thought no i mean i'm still a high man on conforto's like long-term value but if we're grading what happened this season you have to give him a d he hit like 14 home runs oh yeah that's true i think he had less than that actually. i guess i guess i am being a little bit uh seeing in rose rose colored glasses here we're thinking the second half was a strong second half well it was a very strong second half and our guy Tim Ryder from the Apple NYM broke broke this down to basically two halves of a season today. In Conforto's first 264 at-bats this year, which spanned an atrocious April and the return from a hamstring injury that clearly was rushed, that yeah. really was poorly managed by the Mets, he hit 198 with a 322 on base, which is still just the Michael Conforto on base percentage. It's yeah. so crazy impressive. 324 slug, six homers, 20 doubles, 23% strikeouts, 88 WRC+. That's pretty bad for 264 plate appearances. Now, if you take Michael Conforto's last 215 plate appearances, a basically even sample, 272, 372, 457. That's an elite slash line. That's better than Michael Conforto's career slash line. Eight home runs, 10 doubles, 19.5 strikeout rate. 128 WRC+. plus. This is a guy who, while he was really bad and injury was mismanaged, has a ridiculous amount of potential. But I'm also still going to... I do want to give him that bad grade because after last season, what he did for this lineup and his massive breakout in the 60-game sample, we thought he was really going to be an MVP candidate like we've always thought. You just can't hit 14 home runs and have 50 RBIs in 120 games. You can't do that. No. You can't do that at all. You can't do that, yeah. You can't do that in a team that has playoff aspirations when you are one of the key contributors to it middle of the lineup guy you got to step up definitely but there's also just no obvious reason why he sucked besides a slow start that was compounded on by a hamstring injury that wasn't fully healed when he returned like he didn't even take a rehab assignment i'm pretty sure if i remember correctly like you can't do that his strikeouts were down overall his walks were steady his max exit velocity was fine his barrel rate ended up being fine on the full season like Wherever he plays next year, I'm expecting the classic Mike Conforto, the 300, 260, 350, 450. And he's going to be a good player for the next 10 years. And I think there's a really good chance that he still does that with the Mets. And I think that they really should make sure he does do that with the Mets. Take your discount and get a few years of Mike Conforto right now, please. Yeah, I think D's a fair grade. D's definitely a fair grade. It is. But uh, again, I like that for Conforto. D's my grade right now, but he's a student who I said should come to, should come to office hours. Come talk to us. We really want him to be a part of this class in the future. He really should be. All right. Now let's go back to the pitching side here. Probably one of the higher grades I'm assuming here. Marcus Stroman. What a year this guy had. And you called it at the start. You said an X-Factor guy was really going to step up. Marcus Stroman. And boy, did he do that. He had, what, 34 starts on the year? He was the only guy in Major League. 33. Okay. So he had an unbelievable season. And he, like, battled some injuries in there, too. And still ended up having a 33-start season. He was going out there. Every single start, giving us five, six innings every single time. Seven, two. Seven, two. Fantastic season. Couldn't ask more for Marcus Stroman. He did exactly what we needed. And then some, an ERA that was in the twos, I think, right, to end the Mm -hmm. year. 
He was phenomenal. He was awesome. A plus. I feel like there's just no other grade you can give him. I gave him an A plus plus. There you go. Team, Even he, better. He was a team MVP. He was tied for the most starts in baseball with 33. And he did also only have 179 innings, which was outside the top 25. But the big reason for that is because he pitched in seven doubleheaders, as we broke down a few episodes ago. And he left two starts after just one out. That stupid rain game with the Marlins where him and Jesus Aguilar were like, we can't play baseball right now. Yeah. And that game against the Braves where he had the little hip impingement that literally that knocked him off his rocker for about a month. I was nervous about Stroman. But he took a step this year. He really took a bona fide step. He had the highest strikeout rate of his career, 21.6%. The biggest thing was the proliferation of his off-speed stuff, the development of a split change, the further usage of his slider and his cutter. I love Marcus Stroman. I know he's listening right now because he doesn't miss one mention of his name but he was one of the best players in the Mets this year. I would love to pay him a large sum of money for a, a multiple years. I saw a really cool stat about Stroman this year. He walked more at the plate than he... His walk rate at the plate was higher than his walk rate on the mound. That is disgusting. That is pretty cool. That's really awesome. It, it doesn't mean anything, but it's pretty cool. Yeah. Would you be down to cut the grades at these these big five right now that we did? Or we did six? No, we did five. That was a perfect five. And then we can move to quick AFL and do more grades next episode. Yeah, let's, let's do that. Let's okay. do that. I like that. I think keep, that's a good way to end hour. it. Yeah, we'll keep it under an hour here for you guys. Let's talk AFL because we do have some guys out there. Uh, and me and James should be making a trip out to the Arizona Fall League yes. in the first week of November, I believe, mm-hmm. is what we're planning right now. So plan. if you're in Arizona and you're a Mets listener or you just you just want to say hi, come say what's up. We'll be walking around all the stadiums watching baseball. And especially our Mets guys, Brett Beatty, Carlos Cortez, just to name a few. Brett Beatty has put his stamp on being a top prospect, then everyone knows I'm a big Fangrass guy. Fangrass was the high man on Bailey, putting him in their top 20 midseason. Well, he's the top-ranked third baseman in most uh, prospect like rankings yeah. right now. He's the top third, third baseman. Third baseman is a position that has really fallen off in the last few years because most of the best players are playing shortstop now. Yeah. Third base has not really become a position that is um really highly touted. And all of my fantasy baseball players out there, you'll know that the third base tiers, it drops off. There's a lot of meat. There's a glut of a lot of guys who are okay, but... There's really not a lot of star power there anymore. But Beatty is probably... I mean, him... I would say him, Jung, and... I, I, Gorman? I think, yeah, I think they're both a solid step above Nolan Gorman. But yeah. Beatty and Josh Jung are the best two third-base prospects in baseball. And Beatty's proving it this time in the Fall League, facing the best minor league... The best vaccinated minor league pitching has to offer. He's 8 for 18 through his first five games. Three doubles, a triple, four walks. He was... He reached base in his first seven plate appearances with four hits, two walks, and a hit-by-pitch. This is just fantastic stuff. This is the making of a star right before our eyes. And we've been high, the high men on Bailey all year and really glad to see him doing it on this stage. This dude can mash. mash. He can absolutely mash. And that was his scouting report coming yeah. out of high school as a 25-year-old. He can mash. Is that he can mash. And that was, granted, against younger kids. But he's oh, now yeah. playing against his peers and he's continuing it up. Love yeah. to see it from Brett Beatty. And this is a weird year for the Fall League. I would say the overall talent in it has taken like a half of a step back. But with that, there's probably more older players just because... Again, players are still playing catch-up with the loss development of 2020. So teams want as many opportunities for some of these guys to play against better competition they possibly can. The Cardinals sent multiple players from the wild-card roster to the Arizona immediately just to get in that fall league team. Lars Newtbar, dude yeah. who had like significant at-bats. He played down the stretch for them. And Juan Yepes, who was like a 140 WRC-plus guy in AAA for the whole year in the Memphis Redbirds. But this is what you want to see from Bet Bating. The first game that the Mets AFL team played, it was against lefty Mackenzie Gore, who... Uh, the jury's still out in Mackenzie Gore. He's had a very weird two years, but he's still regarded as one of the better pitching prospects in baseball. The stuff and the velocity's still there, and he's a lefty. Brett Bay is a lefty. Sometimes those same those same side splits can be kind of bad. He got two hits off him immediately. One went for extra bases. Both were over 106 miles an hour. The next day, he had a triple that was 110 off the bat. 
This guy's a monster. He has the Mets uh, Fall League team, one of their, I don't even know, compadres. One yeah. of the teams they're splitting with is Detroit Tigers, so they're playing with Riley Green, Spencer Torkelson. They also got my boy Joey Weimer, Weimer out there Joey with the Weimer, Brewers. Yeah. That's in the same team? Yeah, that's the same team. That's, we're going to have some we fun get, watching those into, teams. we got to get into that team. Joey Weimer follows me. Well, I'm going to hit him up. Yeah, Joey Weimer <laughs> is one of my favorite prospects in baseball. The guy's a monster. He could be an outside linebacker. But Brett Beatty has the best stats on this team. Better slugging and better OPS than all those guys. Torkelson, Green, Weimer, everybody. I think everyone in baseball is finally starting to realize that this dude is a freak. Yeah, he's he's very good hitter. Very good hitter. And then another good hitter that the Mets sent out there, Carlos Cortez, who is a South Carolina Gamecock, so love to see that as an alumni myself. He's mashing. Yeah, Carlos Cortez. This shouldn't surprise anyone because he's never not hit. All the guy does is hit. The defense is the issue, and they've stuck him out in left field, which is where you put bad fielders to die. And as I've brought up multiple times, like he legitimately will do anything to get into a lineup. He throws left-handed and right-handed. He can play anywhere if you need him to. And you want to get this guy in the lineup because, again, he's mashing. His OPS is over 1,000 early. He has multiple extra base hits. He's put the ball in play over 105 miles an hour a few times. And again, he's playing left field, and there haven't been reports that he's doing an awful job. So I'll take that he's doing an okay job. Yeah, and the Mets, I mean, we're losing some corner outfield guys. Yeah, so. we, we could use a guy in the corner outfield who can hit. Yes, and it looks like Carlos Cortez can definitely hit. Uh, he's, I'm excited to see him maybe one day soon play for the Orange and Blue. I love seeing Gamecocks in major leagues, especially on the Mets. And if he's going to be good and hit, even better. I would hammer the over of Carlos Cortez over 0.5 plate appearances with the Mets next year. Wow, okay. I would bang that. I think that's bang a bold that prediction, right though. I like it. He's like 25. How long can you keep him down there? If the that's guy's, true, if yeah. The guy, if, if he's crushing the fall league, he goes in, he's, he was crushed double-A this year. Next year, if he crushes triple-A, what else does he have to prove? That, that is a good point, spending he, an entire year in double-A. He'll be the blanket horn. Yeah, he will be the blanket horn. Yeah. Uh, he, he can play all those positions, too. So Definitely. And one, one more prospect who I just saw scrolling on Twitter. I want to talk about is Wilmer Reyes. The Mets don't have any shortstops to speak of. We talked about that again. Apparently, Wilmer Reyes has been thrown into the fire. He had three hits yesterday, 10 over 100 in uh, five fall league games. We'll take that. He has a couple steals. I'm sure he's flashing leather. Good. Wilmer Reyes. We'll get a closer look at him when we get to yeah, Arizona. We'll, we'll bring the notepad out. We'll do yeah. some scouting. And maybe we'll interview him and turn his career around like we have for some of the guys Everybody that we've else. done. Yeah. You, you talk to the Mets up, guys. Yeah. You just automatically become more patient, better hitting. Everything goes the right way for you. Sprinkle the magic. Yes. So that's our little update on the Arizona Fall League. Yeah. Uh, I know some things to note. They're doing the 15-second pitch clock. They're doing the robot umpire, and they're doing the two-pickoff rule. So yep. some of the numbers there are a little bit skewed yeah. uh, for sure. Definitely stolen bases. If you see guys like stealing every single time they get on base, it's because pitchers can only pick them off twice. And also they're on a pitch clock, so it's pretty easy for a hitter to pick up a cadence and just time a stolen base as long as you, you know your stuff. And also the robo-umps, the hitters in the Fall League, these advanced minor league hitters are really taking advantage of it. The walk rate league-wide right now for the Arizona Fall League. I've been enamored with this stat. Mark doesn't seem to care. I tweeted it got no love. 15% walk rate for the Arizona Fall League right now. That's fucking nuts. Major league rate is 8%. The bet only three hitters in baseball last year in the major leagues had a higher than 15% walk rate. And it was Gallo, Harper, and who was the last guy? Soto. Gallo, Harper, and Soto. Only guys who had a higher than a 15% walk rate. That's how much of Shohei Otani walked. That's more than Alex Bredman walked. The best, hit, the best hitters in baseball aren't even walking this much. This is a crazy um, development for the robo-up movement because if this just doubles the walk rates across baseball, I don't know if it's sustainable. Yeah, no, the the runs are going to be yeah. out the roof. Pitchers are going to be dead. Yeah, especially if you're not getting like any call whatsoever. How are you going to get through three innings if, if you're walking every third guy? <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's why like even then like the pitcher control, and that's why I, like, I'm not as enamored with the stat as you are, but like minor league pitchers plus robo-umps just feels like walks out the ass. Yeah, I just love seeing play, uh, play discipline. I mean, everyone has it right now. Yes, they do, and hopefully we'll get to see that there in the coming weeks. 
as we wrap up episode number 57 of the Mets Up podcast, we graded some players. We did a quiz. This was a this was a action-packed episode. And Good off-season episode. Let me tell you, if you're listening to it, go watch the video version. This is going to be an electric video version because we're throwing a quiz in there. Yeah. We're throwing a quiz into this. It's different, something new, but we're seeing how many guys the Mets Up boys could find out. 58 of 64. Pretty proud of that. I'll take that. I'll take that all day. Take it right to the Syndergaard bank. Syndergaard hurts. Syndergaard was that an was easy bad. one. 80% of people who took that quiz got no Syndergaard, and we did not. That was a layup. Yeah. But you know what? That's what happens when you turn the bright lights on. Sometimes you forget, guys. I've forgotten some big names in my quizzes in the past before. Like what? Oh, I mean, like, I forgot, like, Nelson Cruz existed once on, like, a home run quiz. It was, it was bad. <laughs> you forget some names when the lights get turned on, but overall, pretty good. Great episode. Episode number 57 of the Messed Up Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at Messed Up. YouTube, Messed Up Podcast, if you want to watch a video version. Follow James on Twitter at Jeter Had No Range. Me, Mark with a C. On Twitter, everything. You can find me there. Listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Drop us a rating. Drop us a review. And that's where I'm going to wrap it up, guys. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. That's the end of episode 57 of the Messed Up Podcast. See you next time. Peace out. Peace out, guys. Thanks for listening.